0: you're listening to Southside baptist church podcast with our pastor dr jeff parker for more audio content please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com hey, amen i walked up here and i saw dust on the pulpit you're going to be seeing a lot of dust i don't know how crude it is but i told sheila i said we may be i said you'll know who's been at Southside today I said, because we may need to change the name of our church to Dusty Butt Baptist Church. We did the best we could to get as much dust off these pews as we could in order to make it presentable today. But uh, it's good to see you here. How many of you have your Bibles? Raise your hand. Amen. If you don't, there's one in front of you there in the pew. In a moment, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. Now, I want you to listen very closely uh, for a moment. Uh, Sheila and I, years ago, we were in the process of moving from one church to another. Now, I'm not getting ready to do that, much to some of your dismay, but uh, I'm not getting ready to do that. But Sheila and I, we were in the process of moving from one church field to another and just really praying through what God would have us to do and I walked out in my backyard. It was a great community to pastor in. It was a great church. God had been good to us. We had had a great ministry. We had tripled in size in the time we were there. So God had done a great work and we, we just really were enjoying our, our time there. It was a great place to raise kids. Okay. And at that time we had, we had Amy, we had uh, Emily, we had Ledge and she was pregnant with Jeffrey. And and so uh, I was in the backyard and and where the kids went to school was just real close. So I mean they could literally almost walk to school. So everything about it was just great. And uh, but I just felt so heavy in my heart. I thought, "God, you know, I don't I don't want to move. God, this is a great community. This is a great church and we've worked through a lot of problems and and, and God, I just really don't want to move. And, this, and then I said, God, this is a great place to raise kids. And uh, Amy was in the backyard. Oh, big old blue eyes of hers and that red hair. And she was out there playing in the backyard. And, and I looked at her and I said, God, I don't want to take her away from this. And boy, in that moment, there was the overwhelming presence of Christ All around me, a moment I will never forget. And God warned me, a clear warning. God said, don't you ever put that little girl in front of me. Because when you put something in front of me, you run the risk of losing it. I want you to listen closely to me. Never put anything, anything, nothing, nothing. Not your marriage, not a husband, not a wife, not your career, not your children, nothing. Anything you put before Christ, you run the risk of losing it. God will take a gift back like that. If you value that gift more than you value your relationship with Him. Because see, it's an idol. Okay? Okay. And today we're looking at Luke chapter 22. And we looked at it last week because as G. Campbell Morgan said about this chapter, he said, this is an atmosphere of crisis. This is an atmosphere of crisis. In other words, in Luke chapter 22, everything is coming to a head. Christ is on His way to Calvary. He's on His way to the cross. So everything in the life of Christ appears to be falling apart. Have you ever been at times in your life where you looked around and you said, you know, it feels like everything's just falling apart. You know, everything seems to be going wrong. Well, that was the case. And and all of the relationships that Christ was involved in, the intensity of those relationships, uh, His closest followers were going to fall away. They were going to fail. They were going to let Him down. Have you ever had a dear friend let you down? Have you ever ever had a friend let you down to the degree that you felt just absolutely so betrayed? You know, Charles Stanley said this, and he said it with tears. He said, when adultery happens in a marriage, in a relationship, he said there is a, he says the emotions are shattered. The emotions are shattered. And so here we come to Luke chapter 22. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn there. And we're going to pick up, we're going to pick up at verse 31. Now, last week we looked at the fact that Jesus, uh, he, he you know, Judas, Judas, one of the twelve, has been persuaded by the chief priests, the Sanhedrin. Is this too loud? It feels a little loud to me. Maybe it's because it's not as full in here. But anyway, as Jesus is, uh, getting ready to go to the cross, Judas, this follower, this disciple, it's one who had spent three and a half years fellowshipping, eating, being in the company of Jesus, has now gone into a conspiracy plot with the Sanhedrin, with the chief priest and those rulers of the temple. They've gotten together in essence what they're trying to do because it's during the Passover. okay? People are flooding into Jerusalem. There are people everywhere. The, the population had swelled to over a quarter of a million people probably. So this town was literally flooded. People from everywhere were coming in because of the Passover celebration. And because of that, the chief priests, those rulers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, even though they wanted to get rid of Jesus, they wanted to do it without upsetting the crowd because this crowd could become very, very dangerous and especially to the Roman government. Okay, so Judas has agreed to betray Jesus. Now there's a plot. Then in in the midst of that, Jesus incorporates the Last Supper. He takes the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. He takes the wine, the juice. He said, this is my blood spilt for you. This is the New Covenant, the New Testament that is not according to the law, but according to grace. Now after he does that, then the disciples begin to argue over who's the greatest. They're arguing, they're, they're discussing, well, who's the greatest? James and John and Peter and all of them begin to, to, to talk about that. And so then he talks about what really greatness is, and he says this, greatness is when you and I are serving, okay? Greatness is when we're serving one another. Are we all right, Reggie? We're good, okay. Okay, I'm just trying to make sure we're clear here. Okay, so anyway, serving. That, he said, listen, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then it comes down to this. You, are, you and I are to be servants. You're not here to sleep through the service. You're not here to critique the people that are up here and come up here afterwards and tell them what you think. Okay? You are here to worship. There's only one audience here, and that is God. God is the one that will critique. You don't have time to critique anybody else because God's too busy critiquing you. Never forget that. And so here we have this setting now where Jesus is in the midst of betrayal. Everything is falling apart around him. And then in, and then in Luke chapter 22 verse 31, I want you to see this because there's two points in this message. In in chapter 22, verse 31, he says, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, now watch what Simon says here. He says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answers and says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will have denied three times that you even know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you out without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it. Have a bag. If you you don't have a sword, sell your cloak, buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you, this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, Lord, we have two swords. He said, that's enough. In other words, he says in the Greek, drop that conversation. Forget that. That's not what it's about. That's enough. He replied. He replied. Now we'll read the and then in verse thirty-nine we'll read that in a moment. There's two things here. Judas is going to betray Jesus, but Jesus says to Peter, who's the ruler, the I mean the leader here of the disciples. He says, "You are not going to you're not going to betray me, but you're going to deny me. In fact, Peter, you're going to deny me three times." Now I want you to see two things here and two things real quickly. Number one, there is permission for sifting. And if you'll notice, look at verse 31. He said, Simon, 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 Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Now, he calls Peter Simon. In John chapter 1, verse 42, Jesus said this when he met Peter. He said, Peter, he said, you'll no longer be called Simon, you'll be called Peter. Okay, and he talked about the fact that... uh, uh, we've got a lot of disturbance going on here maybe we'll get it sorted out in a minute okay we're going to work it out yet it's hard to preach but we'll we'll get there in a moment but anyway here you have a permission to sift Jesus looks at Simon. He looks at this leader of the disciples. He looks at this one that he said, Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He looks at Simon. He looks at Peter and he calls him Simon. In fact, he doesn't say it one time. He says it twice. It's the equivalent of when he looked at Martha and he went, Martha, Martha. You ever had somebody look at you? It's the equivalent of your mom or looking or your dad looking at you when you're in trouble and calling you by your full name. I don't know about you, but when my parents called me by my full name, I knew to go put about seven pairs of underwear on because I'm getting ready to get something, something getting ready to happen and it ain't going to be good. Jesus said, Simon, Simon. He calls him by his old name because Simon is getting, Peter is getting ready to act like the old man. You see often in our life if we have to if we if the devil has an agenda if our enemy has an agenda agenda it is this he wants you and I to come under enough pressure that the old man begins to lift this head and we begin to lack, act like the person before we were saved do you ever act like the person before you were saved There's a song that says the old man is dead Well, let me ask you something. Is the old man dead? You see, I find that sometimes when I get under pressure and I get under stress, I begin to act like this old man, this old person that I used to be. And I don't like it. And so Jesus refers to Simon. He refers to Peter by his old name. In fact, in Mark 14, 71, Peter, when he denies Jesus, do you know how he does it? Let me tell you how he does it. Here's Peter. Jesus is on trial. They're getting ready to... They're Listen, they're putting him through interrogation. They're going to beat him. They're going to crucify him. Here's this big old fisherman. You know what he's doing while that's going on? He's sitting there by the campfire. He's warming up. He's sitting there with some other people around the campfire. A little Galilean, a little girl, a young lady, probably 13, 14, 15 years of age... Looks across the fire in that firelight and she says, aren't you a friend of the Galilean? This is Peter. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't know him. Now before we become too harsh with Peter, let's remember that there are times in your life and in my life when, we con- when we've said, no, I don't know him. And so the second time, a little, few minutes later, the little girl looks again and says, "Well, Now wait a minute, I know that I've seen you with the Galilean. I know you're a friend of that Nazarene. Peter says, I told you I don't know him. I don't know him. I've never seen him before. Now he spent three and a half years with him. Third time, a few minutes later, the little girl won't drop it. She says, No. You... You Yeah, he, he was with him. He's a friend of the Galilean. He knows that Nazarene. He's been with Jesus. He's part of that group. You know, listen to what Peter does. I blankety-blank don't know him. I told you I didn't know him. And in that moment, the Bible says, Mark tells us. And what's interesting here, it's not Matthew. It's not Luke. It's not John. It's Mark. Now, you know who helped Mark put together the Gospel of Mark? Peter. Peter's the one who told Mark everything. When Mark began to compile his information for the Gospel of Mark, his primary influence was Peter. Mark is the only one that says that Peter used profanity. And the only reason Mark said that was because Peter told him that's what I did. I'll be honest with you. I turned into the old Simon. I turned into the old man. You put me under enough pressure and I began to behave like the old man. And you know what the Bible goes on to say when that happened? The Bible says that Peter was embarrassed. He was ashamed. The Bible said he wept bitterly. You see, this permission... He goes on to say, this is the purpose of the enemy. What the enemy wants to do in your life and in my life, he wants you and I to act like we used to act before we became a Christian. So Jesus is trying to prepare Simon. He says, Simon, Simon. Now listen to me, Simon. Satan has asked permission to sift you as wheat. Well, isn't that strange? He, 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 the idea here is, is that Satan is asking permission... To sift. And he uses the plural here. It is the idea to take apart. I wrote down here one statement. It is repeated, swift, violent, shaking in a sieve in order to remove the shaft from the wheat. Okay? Okay? Um, I remember in Zimbabwe, the women would pound rice. They had this container and they put this raw rice in it with the shell, with the covering on the rice. And the women would, in unison, they would have, each of them would have this long thing and they would do this. And they would pound that rice and they, would, and they would actually sing songs and one would be, they would face each other. And when one came up, the other one went down and they pounded and pounded that rice. I remember at one point, I used to be probably, I was about 20, probably about 30 pounds more than I weigh now. And I sold them one day, I said, let me try that. We were out in a village somewhere in the middle of Africa. I said, let me try that. Well, they laughed, and the men kind of gathered around. They were laughing, and so I took that thing, and the woman was across from me, and she started up, and I'm supposed to keep up with her. And I want you to know something. It was wearing me out. I said to myself, my goodness, surely we're finished. She said, oh, we ain't near about finished yet. It takes a lot of beating to get that shell off that rice. Well, you know what it takes? It takes a lot of beating to get the old man out of us. You see, what Jesus was saying here to Peter, he was saying, Peter, listen, Satan is asked to sift you to really see what you're made out of. I told Heather a little while ago, I said, tell Eric I'm going to use him in my sermon. We we had Eric Rogers come over and work on our vehicles. Eric is just mechanically gifted. This is what he does for a living. You know, these guys just amaze me. They crawl up in these vehicles, and and they look like all of a sudden they go into their own world, you know. And I mean, it's not just a matter of being mechanically gifted and analytical. Eric's over there pulling this apart, and I'm thinking, man, how are you going to put all this back together? You ever think that? But his mind is just working away. And there were times that literally he said, "Well, you know, we can make this work. We can do this. We can do that. You know, this is the this is what this is what is meant here." The enemy is saying to you and I, listen, I want to take them apart. But he has to ask permission to do it. So there's a permission to sift. And then secondly, the second point, there's a purpose in suffering. There's a purpose in this sifting. I wrote down two principles. They would be worth writing down if you've got a pen. Because, you know, let's let's be honest. Is there not times in our life when we're suffering and when we're hurting that we say, God, this is not fair? God, this is not right. You know, the enemy says, listen, God says to us, listen, the enemy has asked permission to sift you. If the enemy asks permission to sift you, there's a tendency in us to go, Lord, this is not right, this is not fair. God, back off, let let go of this thing. It's hurting too much. God, make the devil, make Satan stop because I can't take this anymore. You know, I've said this, you're either going into suffering, coming out of suffering, or you're in suffering. Okay? So here here you have Satan is asking permission, but there's also a purpose in the sifting. It's not only permission for sifting, there's a purpose in sifting. There's a purpose in suffering. Principle number one, you ready? Nod your heads if you're ready. Okay, principle number one, there are unwanted items in our lives that must be removed, okay? Now, everyone look this way. What that means, there are unwanted items, there are un- unwanted things in your life and in my life, unchrist like behaviors and attitudes and things in our life that God is in the process of removing. So He allows our enemy to sift us in order to to show us, to demonstrate to us. Now, here's the second principle. You can't remove what is not revealed. You see, there's some people in this room, listen, life's been pretty good for you. Okay, life's been pretty good. If you're a young person, maybe your parents kind of, they kind of take most of the stress and anxiety and... Life's been pretty good. There's some in this room, financial matters, uh, you've never really had to struggle financially. Always been able to, you always had a job, always able to make ends meet. You know, doing pretty good. There's some of you in this room, you've had pretty good kids. You've never had no real problems parenting. You maybe had a child or children, and they they basically acted pretty good. So you've never, some of you, you've never known what it is to be without a home. Some of you in this room, you've never known what it was to have a car that broke down every time you got into it. Some of you in this room, you've never had a health problem. Basically, you look around and say, you know, I've always been pretty healthy. Well, you see, in that situation, that person may have some things in their life, may have some behavior, may have some attitude, maybe have some un like things in their life that God's going to have to bring you into that sifting process in order to reveal it because you don't even know it's there. Does that make sense? You see, that's the point. Satan sifts in order to destroy the wheat. Your your enemy is sifting you to destroy the wheat. Your Savior is sifting you to destroy the shaft, to destroy those things in your life and in my life that we may not even be aware of. Have you ever done something and you thought later, what in the world was I thinking? I can't believe I acted like that. I can't believe I said that. I'm so ashamed of how I behaved. You want to listen, you want to crawl up under a rock. You're looking inside and you're going, Where did that come from? You see, sometimes the, sometimes. God uses our enemy to put us in a situation where He is sifting and He is showing something that's deep down inside of us. We don't even know it's there. Until all of a sudden it lifts its ugly head and in that moment we think, I don't look like Jesus at all. I'm ashamed. Why? Because listen, Satan is not omniscient. Satan doesn't know everything. You know what Satan thinks about all of you in this room, including me? He slanders us. He's the accuser of the brethren. He is constantly attacking us. He sees nothing good in us. And if you, have, if you are truly a righteous person, and there's real integrity and honesty and a commitment to Christ and a deep level of communion with, and fellowship with Christ, listen, your enemy doesn't know that. When he attacked Job, he really believed that Job was not a good man. Regardless of what God said, Satan is not omniscient. Number two, Satan's attempts sometimes backfire. You know Barney Fife and Andy Griffith. What was Barney always known for? Oh, one bullet. God knows when Barney put the bullet in the pistol, you better get back. Because most of the time what Barney would do is Barney would stick that old pistol down in his poster and what would happen? You know, it backfire. I mean, it, it, you know, he would mess up. He would make. Listen, what Satan does and what Satan attempts to do in your life and my life is to destroy the wheat. God smiles and says, have your best shot. What you're going to do is you're going to reveal, you're going to put them in a situation, it's going to reveal things that don't look like me, and we're going to deal with that, and when they come through this, they're going to be better. You see, there's a purpose. It's not only permission to sift, it's a purpose in the sifting process. Hear me, stay with me. There's a schedule to it. Some of you right now may be suffering, and you're battling, and you're struggling. I want you to know something. There's a beginning, and there's an end. I wrote this quote down. I want you to listen to this. The enemy would have us believe that he controls the schedule of our trials and our suffering. That our enemy is calling the shots. That he can continue to keep us in a valley as long as he wants. And he can bring heartache and suffering as often with as much intensity as he chooses. That is not true. Satan may go about like a roaring lion, but he's on God's chain. Satan may be... Listen... Jesus says to Simon, he says, Simon, talking to the old man, he said, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. That means this, exactly Job chapter 1. Satan comes before the throne of God. He says, you know that leader down there you got? That man by the name of Peter? He probably calls him Simon. You know Simon? He said, that's a big facade. I can tell you what, he's a fake He's dishonest, he's immoral, he's ungodly. Profanity, man, he'll let a string of GDs come out if you'll let me have him. I tell you what, you let me have him for a while. You let me put him through the wringer. And I tell you what, God, we'll see what old Simon Peter's made out of. You say he's a rock that you're going to build the church on. You say he's a leader of the disciples. You say that he spent three and a half years in fellowship and communion with your son. God, let me have him. God says, take your best shot. God already knows what Simon Peter's going to do. He's going to blow it. But you know what God's going to show Peter? Peter, I've been trying to tell you that that was in you. You wouldn't listen to me. If I have a cup sitting up here, and I ask you if that cup is not where you can see through the cup, and I say, now tell me what's in it, you'd say, I don't know. There's only two ways that you would know what's in a cup if I had it up here. And I, were up. I were holding a cup in my hand. You wouldn't know whether there was coffee in it. You wouldn't know if it was water. You wouldn't know what was in, Kool-Aid, Coke. You wouldn't know. There's only two ways. Now, I want you to listen to this. This is critical. The only two ways, there's only two ways to know what's in that cup. Number one, you have a position where you're looking down into the cup. And from up here, you can look down and see what's in it. That's God. God knows what's in us. The only other way is for me to shake the cup up and it to spill out. You know what happens sometimes in the suffering and the trials of our life? God allows us to be shaken by our enemy because he's trying to show us what is inside of us. That's, the, that's part of the purpose of suffering. That's part of this purpose of what God is doing in sifting. Now, I want you to look at what Jesus says in verse 32. He says, listen, Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked that he could sift you as wheat. Now, watch this. But I have prayed for you. I don't know. You know, some people come up and say, let me tell you something. When Leanne Ainsworth comes up and says, Brother Jeff, I've been praying for you. Jeff, that makes me feel good. And I would say for most people in this room, when a godly spiritual man or woman comes up to you and says, hey, I want you to know something. I was praying for you today. Man, that that moves your heart. Imagine Jesus praying for you. He says, Simon, he said, Satan's just asked to sift you as wheat. It's going to be bad. Going to be some ugly things come out of you. But Simon, I prayed for you. You know what he's saying? Simon, I'm the mediator. I have prayed. I have interceded. I have gone before the Father. Because see, while the accuser of the brethren is spouting all this slander and all of this stuff and accusations against Simon Peter, you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is going right up to the throne, right to the Father, and he's saying, wait a minute. No, that's not all that's in him. I'm also in him. There's some some good stuff deep down inside. Just let me show you, Father. Because when Peter denies him, blankety-blank, I don't know him, jumps up and stomps away. Tears start pouring out. He goes over. There's a picture in the Gospel of Luke presentation in the Jesus film that's used all over the world. It shows Peter, literally Peter does this he just goes over and it shows him just burying his face into the wall and he begins to weep and he says, oh God, how could I have ever done that? I'm so ashamed. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Oh Lord, I have denied my Savior. Not once, not twice, but three times. Oh God. I'm going to tell you what, if you sleep around, if you can drink and dope it up, if you can break into people's houses and steal what they have if it's not yours, if you can do all of that, if you can use a string of profanity or you can use music or rap or whatever it is that is filled with obscenity and not be driven to the point that you don't find yourself going, oh God, what am I doing with my life? what I was listening to, what I saw this evening, the pornography on, my, on the internet. Lord, it is killing me. It's breaking my heart. Lord, why do I drink? Set me free. My friend, don't tell me you're a Christian. You are one in name only. Jesus said, Not everyone who enters, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of the Father. And I'm going to tell you, in America today, in the westernized church, we are a sleeping, dead bunch of people. Many of us have never been quickened by the Holy Spirit. We know nothing about being filled with the Spirit of Christ. Jesus is the mediator. He says to the Father, There is good. He doesn't, he doesn't see him denying him here. Three times before a maiden, he sees him with his face pressed against the wall saying, God, why? God, deliver me. We'll feed homeless this week, this Thursday. Let me tell you what some of those homeless will look at me and say. Oh, Brother Jeff, I'm in bondage to alcohol. My life is People will look there with their rotten teeth and their faces gaunt, and they'll say, I'm in bondage to crystal meth and I don't know how to get free of it. Christ mediates. What does he say? He says, Peter, I have prayed for you. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Peter... Look at me, this big old rough fisherman. He says, Peter, look at me. I have prayed for you. And when you've come through this, you know what he's saying? Peter, you're going to get through this. Some of you in this room need to understand this. You may be at a dark time in your life. You may be in a relationship that's breaking your heart. You may have a financial problem. You may be without a job. Your family may be broken up. And you may think, you may think there's just no end to this. But you know what the Lord would tell you? Oh, yes, there is. I'm in control of this, not your enemy. And when I get through showing you what's in you that needs to change, then we'll move on out of this. You see, this is the way the Lord works. Now, and I'm not going to go much longer, but he's, we have to understand this. He, he, he makes it very clear to, to Peter. He says here, He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon. Now look at those next words that your faith may not fail. Why does the enemy go after our faith? Well, faith is the component of salvation. The Bible says that you and I are saved by grace through what? faith. You see, the faith is how we're saved. It's a part of the process. God gives His grace. We respond in faith. It's a component of salvation. So, of course, the enemy can't stand faith. But then there's something else. Faith is also the catalyst of sanctification. In other words, as I'm being conformed to the image of Christ, faith drives me to the Bible to read my Bible. Faith drives me to my knees to pray. Every time I pray, this is an act of faith. Every time I come to church, I pull up and I'm committed and I'm serving and I'm involved in a local body of believers. I'm not just spasmodically showing up. I believe in the church. And I pour my heart and soul into it. I believe that children need to be taught. I believe that Sunday school lessons need to be taught. I believe that homeless people need to have a soup on on Wednesday nights. I believe these things and I join with the body of belief. All of these are acts of faith. The enemy can't stand that. You see, faith is a component of our salvation. It's a catalyst of our sanctification. Faith is the crown of worship. You know when people don't worship, you know what the problem is? they got a faith problem. Hebrews eleven six 6, definition. He gives the definition of faith. In fact, take a, take a right and go over from, from Luke, Luke 22. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I want you to see this. Hebrews chapter, because a lot of people say, well, what is this thing of faith? If the enemy is after my faith, what is faith? Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, watch what the writer said here, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for. You want to creep, cripple a man, take away his hope. Okay. You want to cripple a man, you, take, you want to cripple a woman, take away their hope. You put them in a hopeless situation. Well here, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, now stay with me, go down to verse 6. Why would the enemy not like faith? Why is he after that? Look at verse 6. Why do you think the enemy puts you through this sifting and this suffering and he's trying to destroy this? And now listen, everybody look this way. Jesus says to Peter, he says to Simon, he says, Simon, listen, you are getting ready to go through this? It's going to be ugly, it's going to hurt, it's going to be painful. But Simon, I prayed for you that your faith fell not. The faith, the faith is what the enemy's after. Okay? Now, why is the enemy after? Well, listen, it's a component of salvation. It's a catalyst of sanctification. It's the crown of worship. Why? Because look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. What does it say? You tell me, what does it say? That's right. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, the enemy goes after the most critical element in your life and in my life because he doesn't want God pleased. He doesn't want God pleased. I wrote down here, trials of the enemy's attacks on our faith. He seeks to undermine and destroy what God seeks to build up into our lives. The enemy's trying to destroy your faith. God's trying to build it up. The enemy means the sifting and the suffering in your life. He designs it so that it takes away your hope, so that it takes away your faith. You know what God says? If you will allow it to work, it'll build it up. That's faith of the people who have the greatest faith of the people who have suffered the most, right? Isn't that strange? Why is faith so important? You know what Paul said in Ephesians 6, 16? When he talked about the armor, you remember Paul gives all this armor, all this armor you and I need. You know, he tells us every bit of this armor. Helmet of salvation. He goes through every part of that armor. You know what he says? And he says, above all, verse 16, listen to this, stay with me. Above all, taking up the shield of what? Faith. You see, the enemy knows that if he can, if he can cause your faith to falter... You get to suffering and hurting enough. You begin to doubt God. You begin to say, you know, I don't, you don't, I've seen this. I've seen people with cancer, seen people who had a family member that was dying, finally look at me in anger and say, I don't know if there's even a God anymore. Because there, there was a God, I wouldn't be going through this. You know what the enemy's been able to do? Destroy that faith. You know what Jesus is praying? He's saying, Simon, I've only prayed for one thing, that your faith fail not. Because that's all you and I have when we have cancer, when we're at Batson with a child that's sick, when we're financially in a crisis, when we're trying to figure out how we're going to make ends meet. The only thing that we have is our faith. What the enemy's trying to destroy is your shield of faith. Prayer you know what James says in James 1? James 1, 6 through 8 says this. It says, and when you pray, don't waver. Because a, a waver. because a faith that wavers is a double-minded man, and that man is unstable in all of his ways. You know why some of us don't have answer to prayers? Because we lose faith. What God is saying in James chapter 1, what James was saying to these early believers is, listen, the critical component of our prayer life is faith. Peter, I pray that your faith fail not. Peter would. He would deny him. Not once, not twice, three times. But it made no difference. Because ultimately, God would bring him through this. And I'm going to have to end. There's much more. But God would bring him through this. There is permission to sift. When you and I are in the middle of a trial, we're in the middle of a difficulty. When our lives are hurting and we're struggling and we're suffering, we look up toward the heavens and we say, Lord, I know that my enemy, I know what my enemy's all about. My enemy is sifting me right now. God, I know you've given permission for this. I know that all the suffering that I'm going through has been divinely ordained by you, God. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. God, I'm hurting. God, I don't see right now. God, I'm having difficulty right now. Whatever it may be, you be honest with God. You be open with God, but you understand this. God is the one that is in control of your suffering and of my suffering. God... For all things work together for good. For all things work together. Wait a minute. You mean my financial problems? Yes. You mean my marital problems? Yes. You mean my cancer? Yes. You mean the heartache that I'm going through? Yes. You mean the difficulty that I'm in? Yes. You mean this? You mean that? I mean everything. The Bible says, Paul said, for all things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose. Satan has to ask permission to sift, but God has a purpose in it. Now I want to ask you to stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed. In fact, I want you to just, just a moment to look this way before we pray. Everyone in this room has failed the Lord at one point or the other. Okay? Peter, Peter failed the Lord. He was over there weeping and crying, just pouring his heart out. Sooner or later in our lives, we're going to fail. We're going to get in the midst of suffering, sifting, God's going to do something, and God's going to allow some suffering to come into our life, and we're going to feel like the enemy's winning. Okay? We're going to begin to feel our faith kind of wavering. We'll begin to wonder whether we have any faith at all anymore. We're in a difficulty. We let the Lord down, we say things that we don't mean. You ever done that? You do things that you wish you hadn't have ever done. Did you, have you done that? You know how many people have sat in counseling and looked and, said, looked and said, Pastor, I cannot believe I did that. Do you know what Peter said to those men when they went back to fishing? He said, I cannot believe I did that to Jesus. Now, everyone stay with me. But God restored Peter and Peter became a great instrument. In Acts chapter 2, you know what Peter was doing? Peter is standing up on the day of Pentecost before thousands of people doing what he couldn't do in front of a little 15-year-old girl at a campfire. Why? What happened between that moment and that one? Brokenness, weeping, repentance, repentance. And then saying, you know what he said? This is what he said. He said, God, if you'll give me another chance. God, if you'll give me, a, if you just give me another opportunity. And God began to fill him with his Holy Spirit. His faith became stronger. And he would stand on the day of Pentecost before Roman officials, before those thugs from the chief priests, the, the, the high courts, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And he would preach that Pentecostal sermon before thousands. God can come into your life and he can bring such a man or woman of God out of you that the people who knew you before won't even know you. Now listen to this. My wife, when I met her, was a widow. She had been married before. Her husband dealt in drugs. She was abused. She was mistreated in this marriage. They were running, often, skipping out in the middle of the night from rent, doing everything. Her life was hell on earth. Finally, her first husband was murdered. He held on to drug money, and some people killed him. And at 19 years old, she was a widow. Her life became chaotic, tossed and turbulent. And then Christ came into her heart. Christ made her a new creation. I met her in college. She was still battling with the memories and so much that she gone through. I carried her to a family reunion and I will never forget my grandmother. She said, she called me doll baby. She said, doll baby, come here. She said, This one's a keeper. I said, Momo, I said, She's got a lot of baggage. She's a keeper. And my grandmother said, So did I. I had a lot of baggage. Outside of Jesus Christ, she's the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. So you may be here and you say, You know, I've let the Lord down. I'm disappointed. I've done the very thing that Peter did here at that fireside. There have been things I've done. to God can turn your life around and He can make all of that, literally. He can take it and weave it into the tapestry of His purpose and His will and He can make you a new creation. Now let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank You that You love us. and Lord, we just thank You that, dear Lord, in the midst of this sifting and suffering that takes place in our life, We thank you that, dear Lord, we serve a mighty God, an everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, wonderful Counselor. We thank you that, dear Lord, you take the mess and the failures and all of the things in our life and you weave them into the tapestry of your will. And you take people like Sheila and you take a mixed-up teenager that married at a young age that ran with the own crowd, that lived in abuse and drugs and all of that, dear Lord. And we, you, you take someone, dear Lord, that finally devastated, that had lost everything, and you raise them up out of the ashes of this existence. You kneel them by the bedside in a dorm, college dorm room, and they say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. And in that moment, You begin to weed the most precious Christian I have ever known in my life. That's what you are in the business of. And we thank you that you're the mediator. That you look inside of us and you say, Father. And then you begin to speak on our behalf. The great high priest, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, a teenager, a young person, that right now you're speaking to their heart. The enemy may be saying, you've messed it up. You've gone too far. Your life is too big of a mess. There's nothing that he can do now. May we hear the sound and the cry of the Father as the Son mediates and says, oh yes, there's still. Father we pray dear Lord that you would come in and if there's one here that today needs to be a Christian needs to be saved that they would just say right now in this prayer Lord Jesus I am a sinner but I know that you love me and you died for me come into my heart forgive me of my sin and right now be my lord and my savior i thank you jesus that because of this prayer and what your word teaches that today right now i have become a follower of jesus christ amen i want to invite